Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host back from California, Timuchin, and I wish I kind of stayed there, but what are you going to do back with these guys? So we have our usual crew, as always. We have Gally here, who actually admitted on our Discord chat channel this week that he has the body of a 15-year-old. I'll let you explain to our fans what that exactly entails. Uh, entails the body of a 15-year-old, actually. Um, and that's basically all it entails. But the way the comment happened was, was, uh, no, we don't need context. <laughs> we, we yeah, need I hope context. somebody just got on the pod and heard Gally say he's got the body of a 15-year-old. No, no context needed. We'll move on. Uh, Paul, <laughs> all the fans need to know is you have a body of a 15-year-old, and we'll go from there. Listen, That's- I don't have any bodies in the house uh, except for mine, so I think we're safe to say that everything's good here. And you're not asking for anything crazy, Bickler. What are you asking for? I mean, like, I, I, I could take a slight raise, but, I mean, nothing crazy. We're going to work on that. Uh, yeah. Boris says he got bodies. I don't know what that means. Like, are they buried in the yard somewhere? Or I don't know what that means. But we'll take his word for it and move on. Pod's off to a really dark start. I like this. It is a dark start. Only yeah. going to get darker because it's time for, you guessed it, trivia. Jeez. Come on, man. You guys, Did you guys miss me and the trivia section? I mean, especially coming from me. I know you guys did your, you know, on lame trivia version but the games got tougher again people this week's question which you guys should have guessed and studied up for i bet you bickler did we're taking on arsenal so uh with our friends from lfchistory.net i pulled up some stats and who is let me word this right so bickler doesn't get confused who is our top scorer against arsenal of all time Of course, Bickler, we will start with you. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to go Barnes. Really? Okay. Well, I was going to go with Gerard, but I know you guys make fun of me. so We're going to make fun of you either way. But um, So what do you have, Galley? Not John Barnes. Um, <laughs> I have a different guess, and I have no idea. And I, it won't be any better. What are you talking about? Don't laugh at him. You're just going to be laughing at me in a moment. Um, I would always say Jared because he played forever, but I'll go somewhere else too because you can't have Jared be the answer to every week's trivia question and then do a victory lap about how great the question is. So uh, let's take it back further. And I will say Ian Rush. Oh, that's a good guess. That's a good guess, but not the right guess. Of course, I'm the liar of LFC. It's going to be like Benny or somebody amazing like that. Actually, um, no guesses coming from the audience. Yet. Oh, boy, I said uh, Rush as well. I'll let this brew a little bit, see if we get more guesses from the audience. But the top goal scorer against Arsenal full time they've had 17 appearances against arsenal if that was helps and of course uh benayun is the guest for everything for buzz but uh what can you do no unfortunately i will try to find the trivia that would be a really that would be a trivia question would be what can be a possible trivia question that benayun is the answer for? cosgrove has it Cosgrove has one? Yeah, he has one where that's the answer. Because, it, like, we were, like, Gally and I were just, like, absolutely could not believe that was the answer. It's <laughs> yeah. a good one. It's a good one. It was, like, a – I don't know if it was a specific match, a goal score, or – No, it was, like, who has scored in Premier League competition, Champions League competition, and a cup final? It was something yeah. like that. Who scored in all three? We will not go there, but I'll let this brew a little bit as we talk about the weekend first. Uh, now that we have started our Thursday podcast, it gives us a chance to kind of like talk about a bit more in detail about the weekend game and kind of like address maybe some of the other things that's going on in the Premier League as well. Ronaldo says Fowler. And man, that is a good guess, kids, but I will not reveal the answer yet. Okay. So let's go to the weekend. 
That is a good guess. Actually, yesterday, it feels like it was a long time ago. It was a long day when you get up on this game, but this was our stunning level against Brantford. Uh, Gally, let's start with you. I mean, obviously, scoreline, probably, if you didn't watch the game and looked at the scoreline, you would think it was a lot easier. And not that Brantford posed a lot of threat, but it definitely was not as easy as the scoreline suggests. Uh, what did you make of the game overall? And then we'll go back to the lineup. So the game overall, I, I mean, I thought that we were uh, sloppy and wasteful at the beginning. Um, you know, we could see what type of a match it was going to be uh, early on. I got frustrated where I didn't see them taking or creating opportunities early. And I really believe that the match called for the goal that happened. And really what I mean by that is, is for the match to become something that a neutral wanted to watch, there needed to be a goal score. Because Brentford was trying to win that match one nothing by nicking it late or nicking a late one. And at times, once again, our back line seems susceptible to a mistake. You know, there are a couple times Trent went to sleep, Matip once early in the match. Um, you know, as, as we all talk about, uh, it's becoming a more and more common trait of watching Virgil either yell at his opponents, yell at his own teammates, kind of laugh at people. He seems frustrated on the pitch a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with the tactics and them being a little bit exploited at times. So I don't think there was much Klopp could do with the lineup. Um, I was a little shocked to see Oxen there up top, but I think we'll get to who some of the impacts of that match were and maybe a few of the few positives that came out of it. Yeah, Van Dyke was yelling. That's one of my most uh, favorite like Van Dyke thing recently is Van Dyke laughing at people getting injured after they bump into him. That's like three games in a row now where he just like looks down and laughs at the guy that's hurt. And the only reason they got hurt is they ran into him or they were trying to follow Van Dyke or something like that. But it's almost like semi-comical uh, to just watch that. But Bickler, what did you make of the game in general? And then I'll start the lineup with you, I guess, as well. I mean, do you like that lineup? Is that almost Klopp yeah, I mean, that's probably the that best Arsenal lineup, lineup at flaws? I mean, I think that was kind of the best lineup we could have with the parts that we had available. I mean, I don't love Ox up on a front three, um, but I haven't loved him in midfield lately either. So um, I think you're going to see them make a concerted effort to get Jones minutes and back up the speed. I thought that made sense. And when you look at who was available and when, like, I, you, know, you know how I feel about Milner and Henderson in the same midfield and him coming off the minutes he played. I just – I think that lineup probably made sense. I think the most surprising thing of the match for me was the fact that Brentford, after playing us once in essentially overloading Trent's side and just giving us everything we could handle, essentially sat back and played a low block. I think that, like, it's interesting with Brentford. They seem to have almost, like, regressed in a way where they've lost a little bit of their identity. That, like, swashbuckling sort of attacking style that they came out of the championship with really got them some points pretty early on. They snowed up, snowballed some points up pretty early in the season. Um, lately they've been sitting back and defending. Um, and I know that like Tony's been out with COVID. Uh, I figured when with him back, we would see some more of that sort of like, um, where they're using Kanos and their wide players to really attack up the sides. Um, so was shocked to kind of see them sit back the way they did. And, and I mean, I mean, guess there's, there, there's some merit to making us break down a team. We've struggled traditionally to do that, but they just had so much success against us the first time playing the way they did. I'm surprised we didn't see any of that from them. Yeah, I mean, that was my thought as I was watching the game, especially in the first half. We were able to create chances, which I think they kind of like leak a lot in the back, and obviously they've allowed a lot of goals. But I was more thankful that we were playing against Brentford and not somebody who had – who would pose more of a threat in the counter because they almost seemed like they had nothing uh, in terms of, like, threatening us. Because like you were saying, Gally, I mean, we did show some weaknesses in the back because I we know Jones brings more of an attacking threat to that midfield, but at the same time, it does take away from, for example, having Milner over there in terms of, like, defensively. Yeah, I, I, I always get worried. I know I've made a comment multiple times. You know, I worry about Jones sometimes and his um, his approach to the defensive side of the job and that he enjoys going forward. And we all love the fact that he's one of the, you know, bright and, and really engaging players, ready to take a player on, 
ready to, you know, show a little trick on the 18-yard box. He's also ready to turn the ball over with his back to his own goal, uh, and he does it far too often for me. I personally would have rather saw him play in the front three and Ox play in the midfield. And I thought when Jones went forward as the game uh, got later and they brought on the midfield sub and Jones pushed into the front three, I thought he was just as lively, if not brighter, as the game went on. And I, I think he's a real option in these coming matches, playing a little further forward uh, to help. Because let's be honest, there aren't many players on that pitch right now looking to create a goal for themselves. They're waiting for Trent or Robo to create an opportunity for them to score a goal. And I think we're going to need a little bit of that uh, magic here, especially if teams continue to set up this low block against us while Mo and Mane are dancing out in the dirt in Africa. Man, you guys are an Afghan. Mind you, you guys gave a lot of crap to Afghan, both of you, last podcast I was on. And then I think it was like two or three days later, I saw that fiasco with the game ending five minutes early, then 30 seconds early and stuff like that. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Have you guys been totally off topic now, but have you watched any Afghan Bickler? No, I've not. And you know how I am about international football. I watch the, the big ones. Uh, I struggle to keep up with like U.S. international stuff, like the Gold Cup, Afcon, um, even Euro. Like I, you know, I got into a little bit, but like I struggle with the international football. Um, I mean, I, I saw the first nine games and there were six goals in the first nine games. And I was like, all right. So like, this is a, this is probably a tough watch anyway. Uh, I, to be, if you're quite honest, I will probably pay attention when we get into knockouts um, because I think that's where it starts getting interesting for me. And to be fair, they did today eclipse the double digit goals for the tournament. Okay. I believe they're up to 12 goals at this point. And, yeah, it's – I have not had a chance to even see that is it a, like a lack of goal mouth action or, you know, is it just – like is it poor finishing or is it just teams playing too defensively to make sure they don't lose and stuff like that. But let's go back to our boys. And um, Dave Leslie says with Fabinho and Hendo playing as is, you know, Kujo has little freedom – has a little freedom. And I think – that's one thing that I think Curtis brings, and I going back to what you were saying, Gally, I think that's why in some ways I would like to see him either on the left or the right attacking because he does take on people uh, that normally we kind of leave mostly to Mane and Mo in terms of like isolating them and seeing if they can take him on. And I feel like out of everybody we had on that lineup, he was the only one kind of like willing to do that where he would go at people and, you know, like, take them on one way or the other. And you might lose the ball. It's not like Mo and Mane get past people every single time. But you do need somebody to kind of, like, get attention. If they can take on one person, maybe pull another defender towards them to clear up some space. I think that's one thing we were missing against Arsenal, for example, in the cup game. When you have Milner there, it just, you know, no offense to Milner, but now you have a midfield where nobody wants to take on anybody and that's kind of like hard to break down a defense when you become a lot easier to defend. Uh, one guy I wanted to talk to you guys about, and Bickler will start with you, is probably Ox, who I personally do not like up front on a, as a right wing or left wing, either way, either side. Uh, would actually would rather even have him up the middle. I know he doesn't have the strength always, but the kind of like Galley saying, I think I would rather see him midfield. But what did you make of his performance? Because I saw a bunch of varying opinions online on it. I mean, I think it was a bit of a mixed bag, especially at the beginning. I thought he was like, Pretty wasteful in possession. Uh, but, I mean, I think he grew into it as the game kind of opened up. You know, obviously he has a great header for the second. Um, I, I tend to agree with Galley where I tend to like him better in midfield. But the problem with him in midfield is he wants to go central. He wants to drift centrally. Um, and I, I think that's kind of why I was surprised that, like, Brentford played the way they did because if you remember the first time we played them, they scored three on us. The first two goals, everyone blamed on Trent. It was really Jones who switched off, and they basically hit us on the big switch from right to left on the Trent side. But it happened because Jones was like just caught in half space with no, like just not even recognizing the fact that they were just overloading and he was completely missing defensive assignments. I thought Ox was better in that regard. I thought Jones was better in that regard. I thought everybody did a better job with their defensive assignments, but it was a hell of a lot easier just the way they set up. Um, I mean, Ox was 
Great header mixed bag. I hope my fingers are crossed for him. Who knows when we're going to see him again? Yeah, that's another concern, I guess. He scores that goal, and then the typical Ox thing, unfortunately, happens. But, Gally, in terms of the performance and the final score, is it a more of a us playing better, smarter, or is it just because we're facing a poor Brentford side? I would probably lean more to the poor Brentford side. I can't get last Thursday's, you know, just just – utter and sheer lack of uh, thought. They had no guile. They had no cutting edge. It looked like they had no plan. And honestly, I didn't see much of a difference in the first 25 minutes of that match against Brentford, except for we were playing a weaker side Um, and still playing them into opportunities. And then we get the goal. And I did think it got a little better. I thought they came out of the half with a little bit of intent. You could see that Klopp got to them and said, you know, Let's not leave this late. Let's get a second because they were really pressing at the beginning of the second half. I thought that they had a couple opportunities. You know, Jota should score, you know, the opportunity right before uh, both the, the header that he misses and the time that he kind of flicks it wide with his left boot. I think both of those on any other day could be a goal. Ox's header is well taken. And then the Taki goal is really a gift. It was a mistake on on their part. But – you got to finish those mistakes and they did. So I think three, nothing was a fair result off of 90 minutes, but you know, if I'm, if I'm Lawrence Frank, if I, or if I'm that coach, I'm upset. I, I'm irritated when I get back into that locker room at, or into the dressing room at halftime, you know, I feel like they felt like it would have been just to be zero, zero at nil, nil at that point. And I think they had all the wind out of their sails as soon as that ball bounces in the six-yard box, and nobody clears it, and Fab just knocks it in. I think they knew they were reserved to chase nothing. I mean, I felt like, and I don't know, I kind of like asked you guys this on Discord channel too, I think with the point difference this game, and I kind of felt at the same time that we would score and win against Brentford, and I, you know, you guys know me, I rarely feel that confident about a game. And it felt like throughout the first half that that goal would eventually come. Whereas, you know, a few days ago when we watched this against Arsenal, I just felt like we could play for another like two days and we were not going to score that game. Whereas the Brentford game, maybe because of Brentford's defense, it felt like something was going to come. Eventually one of those set pieces, because we kept getting like, you know, set piece after set piece, corner kicks, fouls that we could kind of like send into the box. And I felt like one of these, I was more thinking Van Dijk or Matzip is going to, you know, put in and, you know, figures like a weird bounce, Fab puts it in at the end. But what do you think, Big But I mean, when you look at this performance overall, anything that sticks to you, like at the end of the game, what did you walk away with? Um, I don't, it's, I, I, I'm conflicted about it because like, I agree with Gally in the fact that like, we didn't look very good for the first half hour of that match. I mean, I think I felt like it was a house of cards that we put enough pressure on and it finally just kind of folded. And that's the thing that I felt like we were in good spots and we had consistent pressure. And I felt like we were, we were, even though they were getting opportunities for the most part, we were kind of mitigating those risks and that we just had consistent pressure on them to the point where they finally folded and we got one. And then you always know, like, the first one's usually the easiest, right? So, like, you, you're going to have – especially if that team feels like that to come out and try to find a, an equalizer. So, um, I was happy to get out of that match with, like, a 3-0 win sounds good, right? Like, let's hope that's, like, a nice little confident boost. Um, there were some good things for sure. Like, I thought Fabinho actually had an incredible game. I thought he was really, really good. Um, you know, I know that Jota kind of had a mixed – like, he had mixed results throughout the match hit the woodwork, was in good positions. But, I mean, he's playing the spot where he really excelled at Wolves, right next to Jimenez on the left side. And that's really what I thought we bought him for. I thought we bought him for the left side, um, for if Sadio Mane was either leaving or just to get him more rest. Um, So it was good to see him where I kind of thought we had bought him for, and I thought he did pretty well. Um, And then, of course, everybody knows my feelings on on Bobby at this point. I just think he makes our midfield so much better when he plays, Is, is as weird as that is to say for having a striker. Like, I think he makes our midfield better. Um, and I thought that, like, almost all the good things came through him and Fab right through the center of the pitch. 
So like those were the good things, but yeah, the 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 opening thirty minutes is was still a concern for sure. I agree with Bobby. I think he just is a better bridge between that you know midfield and the attacking line, whereas we kind of have a gap when he's not there. That he's kind of like that link that connects them. And uh, boy says Matip, who has been like Gally said, he's had a couple of stinkers, but overall. I would say he's probably our best performing center back so far. Would you agree, Gally? Or just the presence of Van Dyke is making him look better automatically? No, I don't I don't even think it's a question at this point. I think in the Discord channel at one point when he he had like an amazing play, he basically picked up Van Dyke. Van Dyke kind of got did. It was either the Embueno when he cut across and Matip basically took the ball off him and not the time he got the shot away and hit the woodwork, but the other one. And I remember in the Discord channel, I was like, it's crazy to type our best defender just picked up the best defender in the world. But it's what he's done all year long. He's been covering for him on mistakes. He's basically been the one who has held the line. And many times it's been he's the one who's pulling the center backs closer together. Um, and I think that he's kind of feeling himself going forward. And I think that we see it every time he does it. One of these days he's going to put one top pin and we're all going to, you know, show up for the next podcast, hopefully with shirts on, but I don't think Paul will be wearing one. And uh, it's, it's basically what's going to happen. And we're all going to be excited for it. I'm pretty sure I saw that FIFA upped his uh, offensive ratings recently, actually, due to his increased play. And they made a big deal about how Liverpool fans will rejoice about it. And then I laughed and I was like, like any Liverpool fan is still playing with this iteration of the lineup. They've just gone ahead and put together their own little PSG team with all their little uh, cards and stickers and things. I don't understand that you people players understand. So I hope his dribbling went from like a 54 to a 92. Like, right? Like, like... <laughs> it should for a defender, really. Yeah. I mean, like by default, everybody time. plays Gomez when they play with Liverpool just based yeah. on the pace factor, but... I know, like, you don't do gaming, Galley, so we don't want to kind of go into a subject where you feel left out here. basically what happens when we talk about fantasy with you, so it makes sense. Break out that 15-year-old body. That's not. You know what? On that note, yeah, let's take your 15-year-old body to back to trivia. That's that's what you get. (laughs) That'll teach you. Okay, back to trivia. Top scoring player against Arsenal was Robbie Fowler. Nice. With 12 goals and 17 appearances against him. So, here's a good one. And you guys will get an exemption of at least one week from, for, from trivia if you get who was second. Because I thought this was pretty darn interesting. This exemption from trivia, people, this comes once in a lifetime. So, jump on Suarez. it. What do you have there, 15-year-old? Ah, la, 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 la. I will say Fernando Torres. You know, it's odd. Own goals was actually number two. Ten no. own goals by Arsenal players. I thought that was crazy. What? Yes. That's crazy. That is well, if either of us had gotten that, we should be exempt from trivia, and we should probably also be taken off the pod because we would just straight up be cheating. <laughs> exactly. To be, fair, oh, exactly to be fair, you didn't word the question well. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, go I'm pretty sure own goals is an inept object, and I'm not and sure. And you know what's odd? And I kind of like saw this coming. This is actually what made me look into this. There's a reason. There's like a thing behind the madness over here. Uh, Bobby has eight goals in 14 appearances against Arsenal, and he's up there. He's like fifth right now because I know, like, he it almost feels like whenever he plays against Arsenal, he scores. Uh, and I can remember a bunch of goals actually, like, off the top of my head that he scored against them. So that's actually what made me look to see where he ranks in terms of goals against Arsenal, and he's fifth right now with eight goals. Hopefully, after this Thursday, he'll kind of climb up on those rankings. So as we wrap this up, let's talk about some of the other stuff in the league that's going on that's Liverpool-related, and I want to get your guys' take on a couple of them. Number one, 
is guess who is back in the Premier League and he is not playing for Liverpool. Dickler is already shaking his head because this has been the talk that has gotten under skin for a long time, which is why I brought it up to make him even more aggravated. So, Bickler, here's the question, I guess. I think, you know, there's a lot of takes on, like, could we have used them, blah, blah, blah. Before we even get to that, when I say Coutinho, where do you stand? Like, what is your feelings on Coutinho? What is he to you? <laughs> He's an ex-Liverpool player. I don't, I don't fucking get the – I don't get it, man. Like, I don't get – any of it. Like, I don't understand why people want him back. Klopp doesn't want him back. He's not a tactical fit in the system. Like, everyone's like, well, we kind of play a 4-2-3-1 sometimes. It's like, yes and no, but, like, it's – they use their players so differently in Villa's system. Like, essentially, they use inverted wingers as 10s, which is what he would be perfect for. We don't have any system that we play at Liverpool that has an attack-minded midfield like midfielder that doesn't have any defensive responsibility. And that's what he needs. Like we don't play that way. Like people forget that Klopp struggled to find his best position in the team. He got kicked out of midfield because he wasn't good enough defensively. He was being played up top, but he didn't have the pace or the strength to play up top. He was like a tactical, like misfit. And people just completely ignore that. And then like, everyone's like, well, you know what? I, he's, he's, Paid the price, you know, he's had a rough go, and we got Van Dyke and Allison out of the deal. But what if we fucking didn't? What if we didn't? What if he weaseled his way out of Liverpool, faked a back injury, and we fucking tanked? Because he did it right before a critical part of the season. Yep. Like, everybody forgets the timing of it. He went all the way through training camp, and then right before kickoff, when the window was tight, barged his way out and basically demanded his way out. And, like – I get it. People leave, but don't ask me to fucking forget how he left. And like, I think this whole thing of like, well, he funded this great Liverpool team. Like, all right. So who is that on? Right. So are we going to like, because we're going to fault FSG for not buying people. And then we're going to glaze over the fact that they bought these players off of Coutinho. Right. We're going to make that a net spend issue. But then Klopp is the mastermind of the Messiah. Like you can't have it both ways. It gets into a bigger philosophical conversation that I have a huge problem with in the way people view ownership in the club. But, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that people are basically having a revisionist history and sugarcoating a player because it feels good, and I don't get it. Okay, and breathe. And Gally. <laughs> Gally, let's come to you before I give my take on good old Phil over here. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and repeat everything that Paul just said because it, you know, I think if I gave my full insight on it, it'd sound a little bit like a broken record. Um, so two parts there. I'll save myself from agreeing with Paul for a good thirty seconds, and I'll save the listeners all another shot at that rant. Um, but what frustrates me is the idea that the player who didn't want to be here who never once actually said out loud to anyone that he wanted to be back here, never really apologized to the supporters, never made a out, outstanding or option to, you know, extend the olive branch. He went on, he had limited success in his loan at Bayern. He had a poor run of time at Barcelona. Am I happy that he came on and got a goal and an assist? to help take points off United and stick it to them a little bit. Sure. That was great. Is it great to have him and Stevie, you know, working together again? And, and that's all fine and dandy. I just don't see how it affects our club because he was never coming back because the manager didn't want him. And for everybody who, you know, clamors for the talent he has and that there's room for him in our team and there's room for his skills. There weren't room for his skills when he was part of the setup. The manager didn't know how to use him. All the quotes about, I told him, if you stay, they'll build you a statue. And if you leave, you'll just be another guy. Like he wasn't playing enough to get a statue built of him. And unless that statue was literally to Paul's point, going to be him faking a back injury and handing in a written transfer request. I mean, he was willing to deposit his own money to get out. And the diehard fan 
wants me to think that that's some form of his loyalty to his own passions, which I'm all for. Follow your dreams, son. Follow them out the door and don't look back. We won't miss you. And for me, that's how sports work. I'll never forget the moments. I'll always remember them. He'll always have a soft spot in my heart. I still have the number 10 jersey, and I'm not going to throw it out because he left the club in the manner in which he did. But I'm also not going to ask for him to come back or think that if he did, he's somehow going to be some miraculous change. All Phil Coutinho coming back to Liverpool would do is hold back the progression of Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, and the next round of Liverpool great players who might want to spend their prime years here instead of somewhere else in Europe. Yeah, I mean, look, I think part of it is kind of like what Bickler is saying. And, you know, like you alluded to those moments, too. Let's face it, they were not the greatest years. And we kind of like recalled those moments where, you know, we hit those bangers, huge goals, some top games. And he was a great player to watch. He was an exciting player to watch, regardless of who he plays for. You know, you would normally it's the kind of guy that you would, you know, enjoy watching as a fan of the sport. And I was a huge fan of his. Uh, just the style and the way he carried himself. But the dude wanted out, and I do not blame him for wanting out. You know, like you're saying, Gally, if that's your dream, go for it. You know, that's what you want it to be. That's your childhood dream. Whatever it is, that's fine. I, so the people who got offended then that he would have Barcelona as a bigger dream than Liverpool, because we all have different dreams, you know. We might ideally play for Liverpool, but he ideally wanted to play for Barcelona. So which is fine. But the way he left, I think, is what kind of like really irked me and made me not a fan of him in the long run. I did not watch him in Barcelona to hope that he would succeed, whereas I normally probably would have because I liked him as a player. I kind of like did not watch it like that. I was like, this is what you wanted. Let's see what the hell you're going to do is the way I was kind of watching. And I think to me, it's more the way he left. And I don't understand everybody like wanting him back. Only because we con like yeah, yeah, like you're saying back there, we converted that money to success. You know, like boys are saying that 180 million is the best thing that happened to us, but because we spent it wisely, we could have done we've done this in the past. We've sold what some. If, yeah, what if you gave that 180 million to Everton? It looked the same. Or, like, what do we get for Suarez? We went yeah. like shopping and you know, we figured, oh, we'll buy five mid-tier guys for the price of one good guy. And then we went nowhere. So we've done this before, but we've sold like some big names and kind of like blew the money on the like, strippers and booze basically and didn't get anything for it in return for the club. We managed to do it differently this time. And a part of me still thinks Klopp was kind of happy with the way it turned out because he wanted these funds to get the type of player he wanted. He couldn't find a fit for this guy, but I'm sure him as well as all of us are not really happy about how he went about it. If he went about it in the off season, you know, once the season ended or whatever, I think it would have been a different deal. And I think my feelings towards him would be different. Did I want him back right now? I don't think so because I think it would. I just didn't want him back, not because of the player, and you know, I think we would have been able to use him. Whatever. It was more because of what it would mean to the rest of the team. Number one. And that dressing room number two. So while the Brazilians might be open arms to him, I don't know if everybody would be. Thank you for everything you did. Have a nice life. Have a nice career. And it's a great move for Villa. I mean, in terms of the price and what they're bringing, it's a great move for Villa. More luck to them. But yeah, that's. I think we're pretty much all on the same page here. And I think if we were, if this was two seasons ago, where we were running away with the league. And this Coutinho talk, first of all, it would never show up because we were running away with the league. But if it came up then, the all I would say at least 80-90% of these people who were like kind of wanted him back in would be like, hell no, now you want to come back, you want it that way, you can go and stay at Barcelona. But just because it looks like we can use the offensive help to open the doors, I think it's just not a smart move. And yeah. I think we're pretty much in agreement with that one. So we talked about who is back. Let's talk about who is gone. And unfortunately, people, Adrian Rafa's cover has been blown. 
He was about to complete the mission and get Everton relegated, but job half done. Gally, let's start with you on this one. This was kind of like a writing on the wall anyway, but what do you make of that news? So I, I thought this was destined to fail from, from Jump Street. Um, I, I personally feel like the game has passed him by and has for a few years now, and I don't think his tactics are going to work, especially at a club that actually intends on him improving the football. He was supposed to go there to get them back to the level that they believed Ancelotti had them on, which was competing for, you know, European places and eventually a top four position with the amount of money that they spent. And I just don't think his tactics work. I think it's a classic scenario of mismanagement at the highest order. Earlier in the year, they get rid of the head of the board and they back Benitez, ultimately saying, we're going to get rid of the guy who's been calling the shots at this club. We're not going to get rid of the guy who bought all the bad players. And we're going to support you, the manager, and let you decide. They let him buy two players and arguably sell their most talented international level player in Luca Dean. And 48 hours, you fire the manager who you allowed to win a public spat with your best player that you sold. It, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it just reeks of poor management. And I'm all for it. Yeah, I am all for it. I think if this happened, for example, after we beat them, it would almost be a more natural progression of things. And, you know, hey, it's not working out. And almost I thought it was a better in terms of timing that would give the new manager more time to get ready for the January window and things like that. But they decided to kind of keep going. And like your galley saying, kind of almost like semi backed them up. And they were like, maybe not and stuff like that. Is it just... Let's talk about Benitez first. Do you agree that the game has passed Benitez or the squad is built so jacked up that he had no chance anyway? I don't I don't know if the game has passed him. I think well I think there's a caveat here. Like I don't know if tactically the game's passed him. I think that his personality is a personality that no longer works in football for the most part, especially at that level with that kind of money involved. Um, I think Benitez has a tendency to try to bully people, um, in the dressing room and, and try to take, like, try to rule a little bit by fear. And I just think that like, man, you've got, like, I don't know that he carries the clout that he used to carry. Um, and I think, um, I think Everton got caught in a situation to use a poker term where they were pot committed. They had invested so much. They continued to double down on Benitez to the point where like, they finally got to the point in the hand where they knew they were beat and like they already sunk so much into it. And it was just a matter of, of when to cut ties. And I think, I think it got to the point, I think they would have stuck with Benitez longer. I think it just got to the point where like they lost for Norwich and they couldn't, they, they literally couldn't face that fan base down any longer. Um, and so I think that's what happened. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Benitez style anyway, uh, both tactically and personally. Um, like I will never forget sort of like when Liverpool side sort of dissolved um, the way that he, that kind of went down with a number of players, including Alonzo. Um, so, I mean, that's just my personal feelings on him. I I didn't, I'm one of those, I'm kind of with Galley when they hired him. I was just like, I mean, we'll wait and see, but I, I couldn't see that going anywhere. Good. Um, and it is weird that he actually made that team seem more vulnerable defensively because, I mean, that's kind of his MO. He kind of created that blanket theory. Um, and so you thought that you would see him kind of install that and they'd tighten up a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I, I don't know. I don't – I like I said, I don't know if he can efficiently manage top-level football anymore with those personalities and that money. I just don't think it works. I mean, it was a tough situation to walk in in the first place when Angelotti bails on the gang and says, wait, I got to get a better gig. See you guys later. I know we had something working on over here, but you guys finish it off. And I would think, I think Everton was almost desperate. They needed a name, but I don't know if they went with the right name at the end of the day. I mean, especially with his ties to Liverpool and stuff like that. And yeah, it was kind of like a disaster to start with. And honestly, they've been in horrible form. I mean, they've definitely been in relegation form. 
And I know, like, right now, obviously, they have, like, two games in hand, and they're in that window. And I do not think they will get relegated, even though as funny as that will be to watch moving down the line. But this kind of, like, brings me to where we are at the bottom of the table. I think the top, we're all kind of in semi-agreements on where unless City kind of, like, goes through one of our January spells they're going to be hard to catch. But the bottom of the league seems to be a bit more interesting. So, Gally, let's start with you. You look at this bottom of the league right now for relegation. Who are your three candidates to go down? I'm not positive Burnley's ever going to play another match again. <laughs> so I have to think they may go down. Um, at the beginning, Burnley had every match postponed. And in classic Sean Dice fashion, he was like, we wanted to play every single match. It's those other people that are canceling these games. We want to play. And now he has like four literal players that can play. And he's begging the Premier League to cancel each of these games. And I don't know when they'll make them up. Um, I still struggle because um, as bad as Newcastle is, as much as they concede and as poor as they look every time it looks like they're going to get three points and then they give up a late goal. I still watch these teams every weekend. And I just do not believe that Norwich or Watford are Premier League teams. And I think when 38 games are played, I expect those teams to be in 19th and 20th place. So at the end of that, I feel like it comes down to one out of five between probably Burnley, Newcastle, Leeds, Brentford. And just for the fun of it, let's throw Everton in there until they prove us wrong. Um but I do think it's one of those five teams fighting for that last spot. I, I genuinely think Newcastle will find a way to get a, scrape together enough points, even if they're draws, to, to scratch and claw their way above the relegation zone. I just don't know how Norwich or Watford get enough points to stay up. Boy says, what happens to the Newcastle project if they get relegated? I know the answer to that. The Prince shows up with some chainsaws and chops up the entire team and they move on. But that's what probably like my my dream uh, trio to go on would probably be like, you know, just for comedy purposes, purposes, Everton thrown in that mess. But Newcastle and Burnley, because you guys know how much I hate Burnley. But I agree. I think Burnley will find a way to get out of there just because of the way they play. They'll scrap a point here and there, like some draws and stuff like that, just because of the way they play defensively. And Norwich, yeah, I mean, I know they beat Everton, but we just talked about Everton and, you know, what happened, you know, what's going on there. And that's basically was like the last straw. Uh, Watford does look weak, but I almost feel like they have some pieces that can kind of like get them some goals and stuff like that and keep them on. Bickler, who are your three to go down i mean that bottom three that's there is is pro <laughs> oh man those are some bad teams i i i kind of agree with galley i feel like newcastle is going to find a way out of this thing i mean because the thing is is like like i know watford's got dennis and king right and those guys can score goals too i just think newcastle top to bottom has got more talent between Longstaff, John Joe, you know, and ASM in that front line. I feel like there's more there. Um, I think there's more there to build on. I think they're a little bit better. And they've got everybody's favorite relegation striker, Chris Wood, now. So, I mean, they could they could get out of there. And for Burnley, that's good because that's another international gone. So, if this if Burnley's makeup games are during the World Cup, they'll be fine. Um, <laughs> like – but, I, yeah, I think – I mean, if I had to look at this and pick, right, for me it's probably Burnley, Norwich, and I, I probably agree. I think Watford probably just because I don't think that – especially if they get injuries to, to their strikers, they're dead in the water, man. Like they're just not good enough defensively, um, even though they're playing a little bit better now. Um, I know Norwich, Norwich has got a lot of players coming back right now that they've sorely missed, so we'll see what happens. I just don't think they have enough. Um. And if we were to have this conversation two or three weeks ago, I would have thrown leads in there because they've looked, they've scraped together a couple wins now, but like, man, they've looked bad this season. Um, so that, I think leads is kind of my dark horse to keep an eye on there. And yeah, Dave Leather says Burnley with Norwich and Watford, which is probably yeah. a good guess. I just, part of me yeah. just wants Newcastle to go down and definitely take Burnley with them. 
I really don't care about the third. Like I say, everything would be good humor, I guess. But otherwise, I really don't have any ill feelings against the other ones. But um, it's going to be this whole uh, game postponing lack of games thing is kind of like screwing up. I mean, just look at this table right here. It's almost like somebody said this before that this would just be a big mess. Right, Pickler? Like six, seven podcasts ago. Yeah. Somebody said this on the podcast. I can't remember who, but then there was somebody, Gally, who was like, well, we got to postpone where we go and we got to play when we can, which I still agree to some sort. I just feel like, and now there are supposedly rules and spec you know like standards in place which is total bullshit because it can be easily manipulated as we saw with the arsenal tottenham game so it should have been either like a great mind once said either everybody freaking plays or nobody freaking plays have you changed your mind on this or no because i never i actually stood true i was the one saying they should play every single match and use under 23s you wanted it postponed because you we're more worried about teams being down their two best players than just two players. And that's the whole problem of what happened. You, you absolutely said it. It was about the integrity. You didn't want to play the big games without the big players. You, those were exact words when we talked about canceling specific matches and they couldn't have stopped. If they'd stopped those matches, are we any better off? It was a month ago, by the way, when you wanted to call a two week timeout, are we yeah. any better off today? In England, they will tell you they are worse. The numbers are worse today than they were a month ago. So the stopping of those matches wasn't going to stop COVID from spreading. And they, these guys aren't getting COVID at the practice facility from each other. They're getting COVID at home when their kids come home from daycare or their kids go to play dates or they have holiday parties, just like all of us regular people. So my point to the Premier League's part was I didn't think these games should be canceled. I hate it when they started canceling games willy-nilly. I understood some had to be canceled for health and safety purposes. But take a look at what happened in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga this weekend. Bayern Munich had nine members on their bench. Do you know how many combined top-flight appearances they had? Three. Their backup keeper had made three appearances on loan somewhere else. Every other player was from their youth system or was from their Bayern 2 team. Yet they fielded a team and played a match, and Arsenal had a match canceled because they didn't want to play a game without their best players and have to play their crosstown rivals. They had one COVID sick case, and by the way, they sent three players out on loan, one of which they sent out after they requested that game to be canceled. They've sent another player out on loan since, and they're asking to have our game be considered for postponement. This wasn't supposed to be about setting up your lineup. It was supposed to be about health and wellness. And classic example of, of the EPL screwing up their own goddamn by getting in their own goddamn. And I think that's the problem. They supposedly came in to say, oh, no, no, we're going to set a better standard on it. I mean, I think it was very obvious that, you know, those standards were going to be all jacked up very easily and manipulated very easily. So that's, I mean, and going back to what you're saying, yeah, maybe uh, my idea at the time was maybe we stopped it for a couple of weeks. We can get this thing under control, almost like a bubble situation, you know. And But then the opposite of that should have been everybody just freaking keeps playing. And they do, I mean... I, and, and I saw the Bayern example. Of course, everybody's comeback to that was, well, Bayern is going to win the league even if they feel like five-year-olds for two weeks because, you know, that's how the Bundesliga usually works. But I just feel like, you know, the whole league, everything is kind of like jacked up. Arsenal, who was whining about our game getting canceled, now is trying to get their games canceled because now everybody is like, hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe if you can't put out the lineup, you're sick, aren't you? You look a little pale. And, you know, like, you, aren't you hobbling? Yes, you're hobbling. And then before you know it, nobody has enough players to play. So anybody can go into that situation if they really wanted to. Premier League, unfortunately, has opened the door for that. I mean, I we're facing that now. So let's actually talk about that real quick before we wrap up the podcast here is the Arsenal game, who 
first of all, Bickler, do you think it's going to get canceled or does it go ahead? Because I'm assuming Arsenal well, I think I'm assuming now that Arsenal is well rested, they'll want to play it, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, funny how that works. Like a uh, second leg of a, of a major cup semifinal and you're fresh because you didn't play the last one because people were coughing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'll build out a strong lineup. We'll put out a strong lineup and I think it'll be like a, a one legged tie and we'll see what happens. Um, I expect, I mean, if we're going to talk lineups, I expect a very similar lineup to the one that we saw last match, which is going to be our strongest 11 right now. Unless all of a sudden Thiago or Div feels like playing, um, then one of those guys, we can see one of those guys sneak in there, I guess. I mean, I feel like, you know, even if they make the bench, they will not cut it into 11. Gally, what do you think? I mean, does this game go on? Is Arsenal going to, like, wipe their nose and hit the field? Yeah. And if they do, what do we start with? I, I think the game goes on. One of the reasons is, is the, they've already said the EPL rules that they came out with don't are, are completely different for the FA and the EFL Cups, which is why they had different criteria for getting those matches postponed. Um and I, I, I just think that they're going to make them play, especially after the fallout and Tottenham's, you know, massive statement that they didn't shy away from and they dropped on them right away. I think they'd have a lot to answer to if they don't play this match. So I do believe it'll get played. And I think there's a lot of scheduling around it, right up including the final and other kind of matches that need to be made up. I think they'll want to play that match. So I do expect them to play. I expect, like Paul, a very similar lineup. Um, I guess my gut will be that it'll be the same lineup, but Taki will probably start just assuming that Ox isn't fit. Uh, that's where I would go there. And then I'm thinking probably, you know, Divac will make the bench, I'm hoping, because they said he trained twice last week, and if he gets two more trainings in. So hopefully Divac gets on there, makes the bench, gives us another option to change the game late. And he'll probably come in and score a stoppage time winner. And, you know, he'll get one more section of the of the statue built. And then he'll walk off the pitch. Some kid will ask him for his jersey. And someone will have to remind him that he played a game. <laughs> I'll be actually, to be honest, I feel like if he was there the first game, he would have changed the game. We're kind of like missing. I, I mean, I know it's weird to say and odd to say, but. We missed Divac in that game. <laughs> Never thought I would say these words, but Bickler, you're an all-time fan of uh, Divac over here. Uh, what do you What do you say? I'm a fan of anyone who casually gets things done the way he does. <laughs> That's all. I mean, I don't even know what else to say, man. I just, you know, like he's he's like I'm here because I got a text from Coach. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like. It's Thursday. Uh, we got a game. Like, <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. we only played on the weekends. This is weird. Like, so. And I yeah, think, man. I think I think Galley's right. I think if he's uh if he's available and he gets those other two training sessions in, somebody drives him to practice. He'll he'll get those two in, and then uh, we'll be good. <laughs> oh man, D-Mac fucking he fucking cracks me up, man. I can't I can't with him. There'll be a day when he's gone, and we're all like, man, what we had. And it wasn't even about the play. And you can, and we've all said it, right? There's, he's got a highlight reel of memories that we'll all have. And we'll all have a different Divac moment, right? But at the end of the day, the craziest Divac moments will be like the one where like there was that time Klopp told him to go get ready. And he literally had like an Arsene Wenger fight with his like warm-up top. It looked like he had never taken a warm-up top off. He's trying to take it off. It was still zipped up over his head. And I never forget it. There were like three teammates trying to help him get his warm-up top off. And I thought to myself, how fucked up is it going to be when you guys get that off and find out he does not have a jersey or a T-shirt or like a, a like a tracking thing? Like he's the kid that gets out on the pitch and is like, coach, I don't have my spikes. And they're like, we'll get back into the get back in the dressing room and get him. And he's like, no, no, I mean, like, I don't have them. Do you think anyone on the other team wears the same shoe size as me? I left him at the school. He's like fumbling with the jacket. You got to remind him that to take his mittens off first. Like, I mean, it's like, I'm going to tell, like, I'm going to tell my grandkids that this is the best Liverpool player to ever play and just show them the YouTube highlights. Cause it's totally believable. Like, he, he would, and I think 
that is so odd. I mean, this team, obviously, I could possibly be, hopefully not, maybe we'll have even better ones, but it's one of the best Liverpool teams we watch, right? So many good players. But I almost feel like, you know, like 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, there are going to be names that you remember as like an icon. And to me, like the, these two guys, when they leave the club, I'm going to be really, really depressed. One of them is Divac because he brings so much joy to this podcast by himself alone. <laughs> and second is going to be Joel Matip because, yeah. I, I mean, that guy is such a character. And, it, you know, it's not going to be like you're not going to remember. But or like Divac, like Gally is saying, there's a lot of goals, moments that we will never forget. With Matip, maybe there's not as many, but just... You know, footage of him. I want somebody to make a YouTube video of just Joel Matip running, like in different spots. And I just want one of like I want to just catch pictures of Matip like out in public because you know he's like you know he's like wearing shorts that are like a little bit too short with like an old Grateful <laughs> Dead T-shirt on and like Birkenstocks with socks on, like weird shit. Like yeah, you know that he's just oh dude, he's probably out there like trying to geocache. Like it's it's it got to be amazing. He's a foot taller than everyone in every single crowd. You have to imagine he doesn't even mean to, and he just photobombs people with that crazy giraffe-like neck and look. And, like, that's what I'd want. I'd like, like, a highlight reel of awesome Liverpool moments and bloopers over the last, like, two, three seasons. And, like, I want you to show me the scene of the great, you know, eight passes and Mo makes the header, you know, against City on the amazing Robo Cross, right, on the fly. And then I wanted to like zoom out to one of them crazy ass matchup like like eyes and looks he gives or like the like almost getting his response to everything because anytime they pick on him or they make fun of him, it always appears as if he is just literally like ready for the facial expression. Like he is one of those like, you know, body comedians. It's all about the physical humor with Joel Matip. His facial expressions, his looks, his eye rolls. I think the only thing we don't know is, is he doing it for purposes of humor or that's just him? <laughs> oh, dude, that's, that's 100% him. Yeah, he's a strange dude. <laughs> like, I'm that's sure that, like, that another, the, the, like, another fun fact thing, I'm sure that's born out of, like, some bullshit where he's on the back of the bus reading shit out. And Robbo's like, shut up, like throwing stuff at him. Like, uh, you know, that's born out of something that's real on that team. And that's what I love about, like, we, we talk about how much we love this team. And I think that is one of the benefits of being such a small, tight-knit team over time is that there are these big personalities. But you can tell it's easy for them to pull in one direction very hard because they are, they are essentially a family in a very weird way. And in behind the scenes, you know, Lucas is a good example of this. The wives are very much a part of this. Like Lucas's wife, Bobby's wife right now, like Fab's wife, they're all very much a part of like pulling this team and these families together when you come into the club. And you can really see that with this group. There's so many of these amazing personalities that, you know, on the surface level watching football and watching teams, you don't see that unless you really follow a club, right? But it's very easy to see why this thing works here. It doesn't work 15 feet across over in Stanley Park because I got to believe there isn't that over there. I think that's a really good point, actually. We not only like know these players very well and the personalities, but we also know like how these personalities interact with each other too, like on the field, off the field. You know what I mean? Like Van Dyke and Gomez and like the Brazilians and, you know, like the Trent and Robo and stuff. Like we know how these guys interact with each other. I mean, even Divac, I remember like there was like a trivia thing. They were asking a bunch of players like who will be the one to forget or who will be the one to like late to show up and like no brain, like no pause. Everybody was like Divac, Divac, Divac. <laughs> like it's just like, so, I mean, it's like that dynamic that, you know, these guys are, I mean, you're right. I think being a team, and when I go back to when I was talking about earlier about Coutinho, that was one of the biggest reasons that I would be opposed to it, even as a low salary, blah, 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 coming back in, because I really think it changes that dynamic. And that's what makes this team a team. And I think that's a great example, Bickler. Getting two great points with Bickler back-to-back. Retiring. And, and that's one of the things, though, we didn't – we didn't touch on it earlier, but when we talked about the Brentford game, I think you saw a little bit of that, you know, to, to Bickler's point, the team and the mentality of how they pick each other up and how much they care about individuals 
and that they know what's going on because they actually talk about it and it's an emotional bond. You know, let's be honest. That game was dead to rights at 2 nothing in the 83rd minute. Bobby had all the right in the world to try to take that ball around the keeper, even though he was in front of him. He could have tried to backheel it. He could have tried to flick it over him. He could have done anything. And if they don't score, no one says boo. He wears number nine on his back and you have the ball inside the six-yard box. But he didn't because he knew who was next to him. And he knew that kid needed that goal. He probably knew it was his birthday. And he knew that that was the most important part. And you could see it. The moment Taki scores that goal, the entire team basically had it. Almost like they all had the lift of his miss against Arsenal taken off the back. And they're patting him and they're talking about it. Jurgen gives him the huge hug and afterwards tells him how proud he was of him because it's not easy. And Jurgen actually said it. Sometimes the ones where the goal's gaping and you can't miss are the hardest to put away. He put this one away. He knew what he was saying. He was talking to everyone who was ridiculing him and almost saying, like, I did not start him today because he missed that. I think he didn't start him because he wanted a player off his bench who might change the game and because he knows he needs him to maybe to start later in the week. I just think that, you know, there was some man management there, and I think we underestimate that with this team, that how much they like each other goes to how well they play together. And I think we see the opposite of it when your $115 million record signing is doing interviews in another country telling his old club how much he likes them instead of his current club, like what happened with Lukaku and Chelsea. And I don't think we'd see that at Liverpool because of what we have in our, you know, in our dressing room and kind of in that kind of man management from our management. So and I think that's Bobby in a nutshell too. Bobby not only sets up his goal, he also sets up his celebration afterwards by letting him jump on his back and stuff like that. And, sh- and that, yeah, I mean, so many likable characters. And let's face it, winning kind of helps that. You know, a winning team is a lot easier to kind of like form those relationships and move on, especially when you kind of suffer together and then you win together. You kind of build to that. I think it really helps build that team as well. And yeah, I mean, we're it's a great time to be a Liverpool fan despite some of the whining that you hear online. So before we end it over here, let's get some quick predictions for Thursday. Gally, let's start with you. I'm going to go 2-1 good guys, advance to the final. Let's beat Chelsea. What you got, Bickler? Uh, 2-1 was going to be my guess. I will go, uh, let's go 2-0 clean sheet. I'm going 3-1 on this one, but we win it. And I'm expecting two Bobby goals to kind of like make this trivia even trickier for next time. One thing I did forget to mention, by the way, is fantasy that we never got to. Because it's only getting more and more obnoxious with these postponements and double games and all that kind of stuff. But I am still happy to report that Kelly is back on top. And I don't know what happened there. I think this is a breakthrough moment for Kelly this week. Because Dan Bennett, who had like, you know, who was doing really well. I don't know if he forgot to change the lineup or, you know, he didn't see all the stupid two game stuff and all that. But he only has eight points and Kelly got 72. So it's suddenly a huge lead there. Meanwhile, Bickler is kicking my ass and expanding the lead as we go. It's, yeah, fantasy sucks in more ways than one this week. Uh, But the only good news is the fact that Kelly is back a number one spot. And where are you at, Gali? I guess we'll look at that. I know Mateusz had his eyes set on your spots as he climbed up, but, oh, man, I really have to scroll down to Gali over here. 10th. And now almost 70 points behind Kelly. Are you going to make up this round, or are you moving out? It is becoming an insurmountable lead at this point, but uh, we won't give up. Again, we'll just press on to one of these double game weeks where something I do works. As I joked with Paul, I picked up Dennis, made him my captain. He had two game weeks. One game week gets canceled. He gets one point. Kelly picks up Bruno, makes him a captain. He gets 14 points. Ronaldo gets benched. He looks like the best player in the world. It's pretty much how this game works. If she does something, it works. If I do something, it fails. So, Like me picking up Kane and making him a captain. <laughs> it's like, yes, great move. Yeah, I could make like a, a, I could write a book about all the moves that have backfired entire season, but 
I Bickler is extending the lead, so that's going to be a lost cause pretty soon too. I'm just going to sit here and root for Kelly the rest of the way. Sounds good. So, gentlemen, Thursday's podcast, they will recap. Galley is going to be hosting that one with Irish Jamie and Scott. Uh, thank you to all those listening, following. As always, don't forget to like, share, and all that kind of good stuff. And we will see you guys on American Scouser Podcast on Thursday in Galley's good hands over here. Take care, everybody. <laughs>